I'm glad to be here today. I hope you all are glad to be here as well. Amen. And as we are arriving, let's clear our hearts, let's clear our minds so that we can receive the word. It's going to be a strong word today. Amen. Before we begin our praise and worship, let us stand and open with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, you reign on the throne and you are magnificent, Lord God. We come before you right now just to have a moment to spend with you, to receive your word and apply it to our lives, Lord God. We hope and pray that it convicts our hearts, convicts our minds, and helps us to become more like Jesus Christ, Lord God. As you know, Lord God, we are in trying times. We are often conflicted with various thoughts of despair, being distraught, being lonely, being sad, being confused, being lost. But at the same time, for those of us that believe in you, Lord God, we also have the joy and the gladness and the confidence to know that you reign on the throne. You are the master. You are the mighty king. And you love us, Lord God. Be with us on this day, Lord, as we receive your word and help us to believe more and more in you each and every day. Help us to turn to you in our time of need, in our time of joy. All these things we ask and pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So. As we just pray to our Lord, he is our everlasting. He is God. He's masterful. He's divine. He's omnipresent. He's with us right now. So we're going to sing to our everlasting God.
here this morning and we are thinking about the Lord and who he is there was a time that we did not believe in him amen there was a time we did not believe but we're here this morning and if you believe in Jesus Christ give him praise this morning If he lives in your life and he has demonstrated to you that he is real, we are here right now to proclaim him. He loves us and we are here today to tell him that we believe in him.
this time of desperation when all we know is doubt and fear there is only one foundation we believe we believe We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And he's coming back again. We believe. So let our faith be more than anthems. Greater Let the church live out, our God will see, we'll believe, we believe, and the gates of hell will not prevail, for the power of God has torn the veil, now we know your love will never fail, we believe, we believe, we believe in God the Father, we believe in Jesus Christ. And he's given us new life We believe in the crucifixion We believe that he conquered death We believe in the resurrection And he's coming back again He's coming back again He's coming back again Did you all believe this morning?
Let's glorify the Lord. We're celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning. We're celebrating the Lord's Supper. We have the privilege as his children to celebrate him. Amen. And so this morning we do get the opportunity to participate together in the Lord's Supper. And I actually like um, doing this at this particular, on this particular Sunday. Yes, I know it's the fourth Sunday is when we traditionally do it. There is no magic Sunday. We know that. <clears throat> but this is also, as we are talking about the issue of justice um, this morning, this whole issue of justice, wrongs made right, as we go through this series, um, Gospel-Shaped Mercy, to me, it is fitting in this area because some of what was happening was justice related that got the rebuke of Paul to the Corinthians. And we know he was correcting. If you guys have remembered when we went through Corinthians, I know this was a, a while ago, but what we talked about was correcting community gone wrong, which is what that book of Corinthians was about was that letter, was that he was correcting community that had gone way off base. And in this area, it was included as well. In that <clears throat> what God had intended, what God had wanted, what God had commanded, what he had instructed was not being followed. And it wasn't being followed in the way the community functioned. And yet the community acted as if it was a healthy community as it celebrated what Christ had done to make it a community in the first place. And that was the Lord's Supper. And so he, in essence, was asking them, and you heard me say this repeatedly, he was, he was in, in essence, saying to them, how dare you celebrate that which is to bring you together when you aren't together? How dare you celebrate that which demonstrates that God did everything that was necessary, everything that was supposed to happen, <clears throat> happened so that you could be together, so that you could walk and step as the Lord had wanted, not in perfection, but, but, but as we say consistently, <clears throat> and, and you weren't. And so it's a reminder for us this morning that as we get into this second part of this seven-part series that we think about this whole issue of am I living up to what God has called me to live up to as I am in covenant with him. And we're going to see how later how the nation of Israel, God's people, were acting like they were living according to the covenant when in essence they were so far from it but thought they were safe that they were in the middle of it, that in essence they had duped themselves into believing they were cool when in actuality they were so far removed. And then we're going to see why that was the case. But first, if you could turn with me as we read to the book of First Corinthians chapter 11. And in it, we start off at verse 17, as you know, I like to, because it gives the greater context, and then it gives the wonderful remedy. 
Starting at verse 17, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for, for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. <clears throat> when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. <clears throat> whoever therefore <clears throat> eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. I'm going to ask you this morning, if you have your packet that was handed out to you as you came in, that you go ahead and you remove it and open it up. And I know that outer layer can be a little tricky. If you are at home, hopefully you can grab whatever you have. <clears throat> Crackers, wafers, if you happen to have unleavened bread in your house, you can use that too. And then your juice. Your home, even your wine, I know it's a bit tricky, but if you can remove the outer cover, which I'm hoping I can do as I tell you that, and the wafer that you have, we know that this is just a symbol. We know that it is that that anything that would typify or that would symbolize the body of the Lord, um, the bread that was broken for us is is what we have. And so this morning, I want to pray for us. I want to pray for the emblems, the parts that we will take, and just pray that we discern right the body. And then we realize what God wants. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much again for this opportunity to be here. Thank you, Lord, that we <clears throat> have been given the most precious and great gift, and that is the body and blood of the Lord, which was for our sins, that we would be forgiven and that we would live unto new life. Thank you for your body that was broken for us, Father, that we would be whole in you. Father, and we thank you also for this cup 
Lord, that represents the blood, the shed blood of the Lord. For we know without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There's no forgiveness of sin without blood being spilled, without blood being shed. You were the ultimate and final sacrifice, Christ, and this we remember. And so I pray that as we take of these, that we would remember what you have done to bring us unto you, and once unto you what you have done to allow us to be one together in you. I pray that we do that. Father, forgive us where we fall short in this area. Help us to not disregard what you are saying, but Lord, to hold it in the utmost regard so that we might live. We ask you this in Christ's name, amen. Let's eat together. And as we drink, let us remember that it does take sacrifice. It costs us our lives that we would follow Christ and live with each other. Let's drink together. Praise God for our deacons this morning that have set all this up, that we could easily and quickly grab and have this. This morning, I'm going to ask you to turn with me as they finish getting that. Turn with me to the book of Amos. It's not one that we hear from a lot. One of those 8th century prophets that uh, we know in name, but many times we don't hear. That particular 8th century was a beast when it came to prophets. We had several of them that were around in that 8th century. Some of our most noted ones, we've had Isaiah, Amos, Joel. I'm, I'm sorry, Amos, Hosea. And of course, Micah as well. And in that time, God was speaking and many times chiding and rebuking and calling out the nation of Israel because of its refusal to live according to the covenant that he had set. I want us to understand that God made a covenant. And back then they would understand the kind of covenant that was made. This was not a bargaining table. This wasn't a covenant that was made to where they came with their set of ideals, God came with his, and they met in the middle, and they came to an agreement. <clears throat> this was the kind of covenant that was understood back at that time as a suzerain vassal. What does that mean? It was the one who had complete authority and power, and the one who had nothing and was about to be overrun and the one who was sovereign and had all power made a covenant and agreement of how life would be if you are going to remain with me. They understood that covenant in everyday life because that's what happened in that region. And so when God makes his covenant with them, he comes saying, I'm not asking you what you think. I'm not asking you what you want. If you're going to be with me, Here's the covenant, and he sets it out, and he lays it out, and all he wanted from them was agreement, and that agreement was going to be demonstrated not by shaking of the head, yeah, amen, yeah, yeah. It was going to be seen in the way that they live. It was going to be demonstrated by the way they live. They would show that they agreed with the covenant by the way they lived out their lives, and so 
God made a covenant, sealed it in blood with the sacrificial system, and then ratified it and put it into place. The only problem was Israel, like all mankind, because of their sin, could not and would not completely follow it consistently and all the time. And of course, God was getting them to the point through the sacrificial system that they would have forgiveness of sins. He was getting them to the point where they would realize they cannot do it by themselves in their own strength, by their own willpower. I'm going to help somebody out today. I know you think you've got the strongest will and that you think that if I just say it, I'm going to do it eventually. If I put my mind, someone told you if you put your mind to anything, you can do it. That works for anything except living for God. You can put your mind to it all you want. There is this thing called sin that is beating within your breast. And that every time you want to do good, it's telling you, hold my drink. Every time you are trying to come around and do something Noteworthy for the Lord, it is reminding you, you got you to gotta win over me first, partner. And then, of course, we know God did something ultimate and final when Jesus Christ came and was the ultimate sacrifice. And as we embrace that sacrifice, we would now be able to follow him by his power and in his strength. And even though we fail, we can succeed because he is the one, Galatians tells us, he is the one living out his life through and in us. But at that time, God was still, that was the standard, was to live up to God's agreement, up to the covenant that was made. And the standard never changes. What did change is God enabled us now to live up to the standard. See, God doesn't dumb down the standard because he knows we can't do it. He actually raises us up to the level of the standard so we realize the only way we could do it was through him. So understand that whenever you feel that, God, I just can't do it. I just can't live this way. Why don't you bring the standard down? God says, I can't. I can't bring the standard. I can bring you up. If you choose to listen, but I'm not bringing the standard down. And I know today our standards in so many areas of life have changed and we dropped the standards and we've lowered them and we've said, oh, we, we know you can't do that. So let's just drop it down a bit. <clears throat> I learned that lesson. I learned that lesson when we moved overseas and I realized that 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 here in America, some of y'all may not know that here in America. They left the size numbers the same. They just changed the size. You know what I mean, right? So if, if, if you are a 34 waist here, <clears throat> because the standard was becoming larger here, they left the number the same. They just increased the size. So they made you think you were still a 34 in America. But when I went over and I started gaining poundage and I went to put on a 34, I was like, whoa, this is not. Or I'm sorry. Who am I kidding? I went to put on a 36. <clears throat> and I was like, whoa, why does 
their 36 fit different than ours? Why does their, and then I realized we done changed the size, not the number, but the standard. And for you and I, we think God does that. God, I can't. Can you just change it for me? And God says, I can change you. And so this morning, as we look at this issue of justice, wrongs made right, <clears throat> the standard of right and wrong doesn't change. Our society would like it to. And as a matter of fact, they've changed it some. They've made the standard something different, and they're calling it the same. The only problem is when the people of God buy into it and think that they are still okay with God, and they do what they think is cool and is right. As a matter of fact, what they do is that they mix. They take some of the world, <clears throat> some of the culture and society, and some of what God wants and think because they've included God in on their new mix, their new concoction, that they have the same product. And I'm going to ask you to try that when you make that next recipe. And when it calls for sugar, instead of putting a full amount, why don't you just go find another white powder? Go put in salt instead of sugar. Go put in powder. Go put in flour instead of sugar. And call it the same thing when you finish and find out what happens. Even if you make it look the same, you're going to run into what we did when we realized cakes overseas was something a little different than what we had here. And we've been into something that looked like it would be sweet, but it tasted like Wonder Bread. And so this morning, justice, wrongs made right. We're going to see through the book of Amos what God's issue was with the nation of Israel at that time and why for him justice was so important and today still is important. What is this justice? And how do we have it and how do we do it? Let's pray. Father, as we jump further into your word, I pray indeed that <clears throat> we would understand clearly what you are saying about what justice is and how to make wrongs right. Father, how to get back on your page, how to do what you are saying. Father, so that we may be approved by you in living our life. We ask you this in Christ's name, amen. So if you turn with me to the book of Amos, chapter 5. The key verses of this text, although I am going to be using um, the earlier part of 5, and I'm going to refer to chapter 4, um, but the... <clears throat> The verses that we will, that will be the meat of this is verses 21 through 24. And it reads as such. I hate, I despise your feasts 
and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You see, at this particular time, what he was getting toward was this notion that they felt like they had it good with God, and it was the complete opposite. They were already on their way down. They had faced some enemies that they were able to um, overcome, and yet they weren't realizing that God was allowing some of these things to come to get them to repent. As a matter of fact, if you look throughout the book of Amos, you will see that God was telling them, I sent some of these horrible things. I sent, I sent, guys, I, I, I sent, I did this, I did that to you. I've allowed these hard things to hit the nation. I've allowed these things to happen so that you would turn and repent, but you didn't. And he kept sending and, and, and they were still prospering. As a matter of fact, if you look at chapter four, <clears throat> I had to say, wow, Amos, you were, you were pretty savage. If you live right now, you'd have a lot of people clapping back at you. At the beginning of chapter four, he kind of sets the environment, and you have to see how he says it. I know my brothers and sisters who are into studying the word would understand. He says here, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. And so you think that, okay, why is he talking to animals? Stay with me. Who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor. I didn't know cows could do that who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, ah, bring that and bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. Who was he actually talking about? He was not talking about animals. Actually, in this particular case, he was, he was, he was now um, comparing the wives of the wealthy Israelites to the cows of Bashan. Now, you have to understand these were some of the most elite cows. They were some of the most well-fed because those were some of the greatest lands. And so at that particular time, the cows in Bashan looked the best. They were fed. They were taken care of. They had everything happening. And he turns and he says, because they are in this lethargy, they are, they, are, they are in this funk, if we want to call it, and they thought that they were good. And he turns to wives and says, look, you cows, as a matter of fact, the word can be translated heifers. Wow. I do not recommend that today, fellas. Unless you know for sure God is calling you to use those words. But he says to them, you are like the elite cows of the fields, well fed, well taken care of, and 
Don't realize that you're going to be led out by the hook to the slaughter. He said to them, the environment was the nation was in a very prosperous place. They were wealthy. They were doing well. But in that, they had allowed in some things that first eroded them personally with the Lord, that they had taken on the ways of those around them in this sort of syncretistic where you take a little bit of here, a little bit of here, and you keep some of what you have and you think you come up with the same concoction. They were taking those things and were thinking that they were still cool with God. They were accepting and embracing ways of the world in the way that they dealt with one another and the way they dealt with people. And more specifically, when you get into chapter five, Amos gets very specific and he targets where their issue was. Their issue was the way that they lived with one another and socially and more specifically, the way they handled the poor and the vulnerable. This is what Amos focuses on. As a matter of fact, you see Micah focus on some of it later. We're talking about these 8th century prophets that were trying to call the nation back as they were calling the nation out for the sin in their lives. And that sin was demonstrated by the way they lived with one another. See, you can say, quote, think, read, sing scripture all day long. A person will know what you really believe if they just stand and look at the way you deal with one another and the way you deal with him. Let's understand the intent of the nation of Israel. They were supposed to be a nation that would demonstrate when you follow God, look at how attractive of a group that you would be. People would look at the way you live, look at the way you live with one another, look at the way that you live with your world and the way that you live with the foreigners around you because they were surrounded by them. God didn't take those enemies away. And they said, when they see the way you live under God and with one another, they will want your community. They will want what you have. They will want your God. That was the purpose. A people of God unto him that would demonstrate how beautiful and attractive it is to live in God. But instead, instead of standing out from the people around them, they thought the more we look like them and still talk about the God that we have, we should be okay. So they begin to take on the ways and the thoughts and the attitudes, even in the way they dealt with one another, even in the way they dealt with their poor, even in the way that they dealt with with um, with their immigrants, even with with the way that that they dealt with their widows. They took on the ways of the societies around them instead of the ways of God. And God was calling them out. And so now as we get this set up, what we see is this concern for one another, or I should say this lack of concern for the people around them and those that they lived on the outskirts of them. This 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 lack of love, this lack of concern was a sign of what had already happened in their hearts. And so I had this as 
What was the problem? The problem was they tried to mix their worldly surroundings with the things of God and thought they could be okay. Turn with me to chapter five. Verse seven. Where he says, oh, you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. And we see those two terms are going hand in hand, righteous living and justice or unrighteous living and injustice go hand in hand. And when your heart is turned away from God, you are the most prone to live unjustly. Because now there is no one and nothing to govern and guard your heart. You are living by your own standard. You are living according to your own thoughts. Or you may adopt the thoughts of a majority crowd and think that the majority crowd is the right way to go because they are the majority crowd. Now, don't get me wrong. You may also think that the minority crowd is the way to go, and they could be just as far from God as the majority. Just because you are in the majority or the minority doesn't mean you are close to God. It just means you are either in the larger group or the lesser group. That's all it means. And if neither group is walking with God, both have the same end, distance from the Father. And so we come up here and look at what he says to them. The issue was this. Jump down with me to verse 10. They hate him who reproves in the gate and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Now, for some of us, I know we'll start shaking our heads because we think of the truth that we like to focus on and say, mm -hmm, see, I told them they ain't want to listen to me on that. But that word truth is not a one section, a one category truth. It is the truth, the whole counsel of God that is brought to you so you can govern your life. So when it says they don't want to hear truth, they don't want to be reproved. They don't want to be corrected in this context. The correction was how those that were vulnerable should be handled and they weren't handled correctly and they didn't want to hear it. Why? Because they were wealthy. Now, please don't get the notion that somehow because you're wealthy, you're sinful. Because we know wealthy, poor, in between are all sinful. And all are prone to it. And each group has their own issue with how they relate to God. And we see that throughout scripture. Sometimes the poor will get desperate and will do things that are outside of the will of God because they think God, because they don't think God is going to cover for them. But sometimes the rich take advantage because they want to keep their good thing going on and they will abuse and they will misuse those that they know they can take advantage of. Those in between can vacillate between either of those positions. The issue becomes 
No one wanted to hear the rebuke of how God was calling them to live. When it says at the gate, that was where the leaders of the uh, of the community met. That's where the elders met. That's where the decisions were made. That's where cases of wrongdoing were brought. That's where you got justice was at the gate because that's where they all gathered. And if you look throughout scripture, you would see at the gate, at the gate. As a matter of fact, remember when we did our study in Ruth, it was at the gate that they made the decision uh, <clears throat> Of, of what was going to happen, that who was going to take over Naomi's land and who was going to take Ruth as their wife. It was at the gate. And so we can see that if a place is corrupted, like Lot in Sodom, at the gate, it was perverted totally. There was no justice. There was no righting any wrongs. There was no making things according to how God wanted. And so here he says in Amos, when they come to the gate, no one wants to hear the truth. They just want to keep it the way it is. They just want to make sure that the money I have is kept. The influence I have is kept. Don't mess it up. Boy, be quiet. Nobody want to hear that. And what they didn't realize is that they were perverting the ways of God and that they were showing that their hearts were not near him at the gate when the decisions are made. Let me ask you right now at the gate, at the decision making place in your heart and in your life. Are you ignoring the truth of God's word on issues as we deal with them? Are you making excuses because you're in a good place? You're in a wealthy place. You're in a <clears throat> you're in a fine place. You're in a comfortable place. Are you making excuses? Do you shun the truth? Or let me even put like this. Do you only want to focus on 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 just a few truths? Or are you willing to let the word of God speak to you in totality with all of its truth? And so he says at the gate, there's. There's a lack of desire for the truth. And then he goes, verse 11, therefore, huh, understand this, we always said this, when you see it, therefore in scripture, find out what it's there for. That means you go back to the verse before, usually, or maybe several others. <clears throat> in essence, because they hate the person that wants to bring truth or because they hate being reproved, rebuked, corrected, shown the right way, what ends up happening? Because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses hewn of, sto of, of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink of their wine. And listen to what he says to them. He says, listen, because you don't want to hear anything, because you don't want to hear the truth, because you don't want to hear God's word to live according to his covenant, you, you, you end up abusing people. That's what he says. You end up exacting from people what you should not. As a matter of fact, in this particular case and in this context, you end up abusing those with no, I mean, with very little to no voice. Understand, and we said this before, when we hear them talk about the issue of the, of the poor, of the immigrant, of widows and orphans, we hear that a lot. I've mentioned it before, this, this, this sort of quad 
of poverty in Scripture, the quad of those that have no voice, widows and orphans led it because the widow had no had no covering, had no man in her society to be able to provide. That was Naomi's issue. And the orphan was even worse because they had no parent. They had no one to stand up for them. The woman had no voice. The child had even less of a voice. So when you hear that mentioned, it isn't just about actual widows and orphans. The category is the most vulnerable among you who are the ones that are the most likely to be dismissed. Because they have no voice. Who is that? That's what God says. You have despised. He says you've come to the poor. And you put a heavy, you put a heavier burden on them. And in essence, they have the wherewithal to help them, but they're not about to because it would mess with their wealthy position. Now, we're not talking about the ungodly. Can I ask us for a moment to stop expecting godly lifestyle from ungodly people? Can we stop? We expect Sinners to live like saints when the saints are living like sinners. We need to stop. You trained. You're the one who has what you need. And you're expecting those who don't know what they need or don't know the truth to live up to a standard that they may not have been introduced to. Or they've been introduced to it, but don't have the power like you and I did before we came to Christ to live up to it. But for the believer, it is expected. For the person who claims Christ, it is expected that you and I follow what God's word says. Why? Because we've been enabled by the spirit of God when we came to Christ We've been given all that we need to live a godly life. Even if we have to struggle well to get there, God has enabled us by the power of his spirit that we can be obedient and that we progress over time. So for you and I who claim Christ, there's no excuse. And this, in this instance, yes, I know he's not talking to Christians. He's talking to God's people who've been given the covenant. But the picture here is God's people who know the way and for us are empowered to live. What's the problem? Their wealthy and prosperous state duped them into thinking that they could accept the ways of those around them, mix it with some of what they had as long as they were coming to church or going to synagogue and doing their religious ritual. They were cool with God. And I'm going, wow, if that doesn't sound like today, I don't know what does. Just for you guys to think that this isn't just about the poor. He says, you who reject right living before God, you, you, you afflict the righteous who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. There's that gate again. There's that point of decision. There's that point where justice is had. That's the point where you come there to get a wrong made right. And instead, because people are taking bribes, because they are taking it under the table, there is no justice. 
And these are the people of God. And so he says, this is why God is against you. And so here's what ends up happening, and this is the sad part. Here's still the problem. Therefore, who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. What he is saying there is, listen, because there's so much evil going on, people are fr- people don't want to say anything. It's prudent not to open your mouth because you're really going to get whacked. You're going to get in trouble. Be quiet. It's such an evil time. I'm... No one even wants to stand up. People go, no, ho, 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 it's too costly. Uh-uh, not me. When I was growing up, you know the phrase, uh-uh, not the kid. And so what you realize is that here you see a society <laughs> supposedly under God Void of justice. And God calls it out, and here's what he does, because he begins to get it straight. He begins to tell them, look, hate evil and love good. Where do we get that standard? What is evil and what is good? You can't depend on this society to give it, just like you couldn't depend on that one. Because at the place where justice should have been had, there wasn't any. So who are they going to trust? You need to go back to the covenant. You need to go back to the agreement. For us, you need to go back to God's word, get in, and then you determine what is good and what is right and what is sinful. And when you do, that is where you start. He says, it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And so then he gets into the meat. We hear of how did they get there? What went wrong? What was the problem? And we get into heart of why God was against them and why Amos was actually there. Look at what he says. Go with me to verse 21. This was all about how they had made and how they had turned this. I hate, I despise your feasts. Now understand, they weren't talking about their dinner time celebrations. These feasts were the feasts that were established, the feasts, the holy feasts that they were to have that would help them to remember God's faithfulness to them. These were feasts that were ordained. These weren't just made up happenstance. And so, in other words, these were ways in which they came together to remember the faithfulness of God, kind of like what we do. And God says, I hate, I despise your feast. Hold on a second. God, didn't you want us to, didn't you want us to commemorate this? Didn't you want us to come in and have the Lord's Supper? Aren't we to love baptism, Lord? Aren't we? Aren't we to aren't we to love coming to church and and fellowshipping? God says, I hate it. I hate your gatherings. He didn't say I hate gatherings. He said, I hate yours. Why? Because of where their hearts were not because of what they were doing. It was clear 
that this was a society that was void of justice, that those that could depend on the people of God to make right what was wrong was not finding any right and no one was interested in making things right. Everyone was comfortable. And he says, not only does he hate their feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. You gather under my name. You come to worship. You come to that place where I told you you come to meet, but you come with a heart and a life that's dirty as can be. You come so out of character for who I am. How dare you meet under my name? And he says, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. He says, take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Wow. Now he says, take away. All you guys are doing is making noise. Stop it. That's like a child who's trying to learn that instrument and all it is is just screeching. And you're like, stop. In this case, the Lord is like, stop it. I'm not even listening. I don't hear your, how great is our God. I don't hear your, oh, let us come together in the beauty of hope. Stop. Let us worship and bow. Stop. God's like, I don't want to hear your noise. It's like, whoa, God, that's kind of tough. He said, because there's no justice in your land, and I am a God of justice. That's my character. That's who I am. As a matter of fact, it was out of justice. Really, it was out of his mercy that he didn't um, bring about his full justice on the people because he made a covenant with them. And so he says to them, I am a God of justice. I provide that for what is needed to make things right. And I expect you to be people who are about making things right, especially in the context when it comes to the vulnerable. And so I have to ask myself, boy, am I living comfortably in my world? Am I, am I wanting to keep quiet because the times are so evil? I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to mess up my good thing. Because, hey, this position I have is only because of my hand. God ain't had nothing to do with this. So if I open my big mouth and I start causing trouble, God can't help me. Because I did all this myself. And see, we don't understand sometimes that's what we portray when we decide that we're going to keep silent. We're going to step away. Well, then how, do, how do I speak up? It's not a one size fit all. Where has God placed you? How has he given you influence? Where can you interact and interject? Where can you stand up and make a difference? No, he's not asking for one person to turn the entire tide. He is calling for a people to demonstrate his character to the world and stop accepting the world's different definitions of how we should live our lives. God has given us a roadmap. And it doesn't look like any sides out there. It looks completely different. 
I firmly to believe today that if Jesus was physically around, he would have angered all sides of our spectrum here in this country. Because sometimes you would think he's one thing. Sometimes you would think he's another. Sometimes you couldn't figure him out at all because that's exactly what happened when he walked this earth. But what he was demonstrating is that my kingdom is different than any of your kingdoms. And if you try and pin something on my kingdom from yours, it won't stick. It can't. Instead, if you try, if you come to me and allow me to be your king, you will realize how different of a kingdom that it is. Something real simple, real, real, real simple. We saw whenever Jesus was standing before Pilate and he asked them, are you a king? Are you king of the Jews? He was asking him about his kingdom. And Jesus makes a wonderful answer. Because he says, if indeed, he says, if my kingdom was of this world, look, they would do what others in this world would do to keep a kingdom. What did Jesus say? If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. And what he just said is, I'm not of this world. They're not fighting. Neither not like you want them to fight. Neither do I want them to. And so while you are judging my kingdom or my lack of it because of what I am or am not doing, you don't understand that my kingdom is based on principles that you can't even grasp. And so for you and I, let's stop letting the kingdom of God be defined by outsiders and go back to the word of God and see what he has it. And here, when he's talking about right here, justice, he says, let God determine what that means and what that looks like. Even if you lose friends, even if you don't gain people that you need in your life, even if you lose money, I'm telling you right now, some folk think it's ungodly to lose money. Not always. Sometimes people think it's ungodly to lose a job. Not always. It's ungodly be, to be put in a press. God doesn't want me in a pressed position. He might. God doesn't want me poor. God wants you righteous. He'll take care of meeting your needs. Wrong focus. And so we see here what they were doing now. He says, listen, I, when you come together and you think that you are doing well, you are actually far removed. And then he gives them the remedy. I love this. Verse 24, he says, but let justice roll down like a river. I'm sorry, like waters. There's another version. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. Here's what I wrote on that as we finish this up when he talks about what to do. He says, listen, in this book of Amos, listen, in order to represent the heart of God rightly, let me tell you what needs to be done. He says, you need to allow this justice to be able to flow freely and continually. But before I go there, I almost forgot where you need to be first before you can let justice roll down. I'm going to jump you back. He does this several times. He does it in verse four. Seek me and live. He does it in verse six. 
Seek the Lord and live. He does it in verse. Uh, had it here for just a second. He does it in verse 14. Seek good and not evil. In other words, what he tells them to do. Is before you can let justice flow out of you, you need to be seeking God. As a matter of fact, if you look at Amos, he tells them, do not even seek Bethel. Do not seek Gilgal. These were holy sites and holy places. And they were they were honoring these holy places as unholy people. They were honoring these things that reminded them of God's work and God's strength, but they themselves were not reminders to people on the outside of God's strength and God's holiness. God says, stop wanting to come to a place that will remind you of holiness. Come to a place holy. Don't let it be about the place. Wherever you are, if you are holy, you bring holiness. Wherever you are, if you are righteous, you bring righteousness. Don't worry if the place is known for righteousness or not. We're not here to have nostalgic feelings. God says you are here to demonstrate to this world that I am real. And the way you do that is by living righteously and living justly. And so for righteousness, he says, look, seek me and live. Because you guys are seeking a whole lot of other things and you're dying. But then he says here at the end, but let justice roll down like waters. The analogy is, is, is just so great. Number one, water is refreshing and it's life-giving. It is refreshing and it's life-giving. He said, the justice that I brought to you brought you to life. How is the justice that we are giving to those around us and to our world life giving? Is it refreshing or are they choking on what we are bringing them? And he says, let justice roll down. It's on the stream. It just keeps going and that people can partake at the gate is where in the place of decision where people are in authority, justice should happen. He said, let it be for you as believers where God has given you authority and God has given you influence. Let the justice that is sparked by God in Christ be that which you give to others. Let justice roll down. It is also continual. Like a stream, a stream doesn't just flow once and then it stops. It keeps flowing. It keeps going. I, Lord, I was just yesterday. Do I have to be just tomorrow? God says, let justice roll down. It's continual. It's constantly nourishing. As a matter of fact, it is streaming through places of life and people at different points can take part and advantage of it and they can begin to see the character and the heart of God and live. How are you dispensing justice when you show up in a place? Last week, we talked about shalom, peace, that when you show up, is there peace or when you show up, is there conflict? Let me ask you this. When you show up, is there justice to be had or do people believe that you're just going to keep moving along the status quo? Oh, he ain't going to say nothing. He don't want to rock the boat. He don't want to lose any friends. Oh, she's not going to do anything. Justice. Oh, come on. No, she was never about justice. She was about just us. See, the issue becomes the people of God 
will look different than the society around him. Oh, you will mingle and mix with that society, but as you do, they will see an inviting community and attractive lifestyle that says, I want that. Oh, I don't see that around here. That's what I want. And let's stop pandering to unbelievers. They don't have God's interest in mind. They don't. Stand out for God. And I guarantee you, it's going to look different from how the sinners want you to live. In all camps. As a matter of fact, <laughs> can I tell you, stop hanging up. Stop living in their camps. Live in God's. Let the kingdom of God come upon it. Changing some hearts, knowing that many will reject it. That's not your business. All it is for you and I is to represent God well and to show how attractive he is so that some will come. And those that don't, don't be mad at them. Keep praying for them. They're the ones that are in trouble. You've heard me say over and over, why are we mad at the lost? Why are we mad at those that are without Christ? Don't be mad at them. Pity them. Pray for them. Demonstrate Christ to them that maybe some would come and some would know who he is and some would turn. God was saying here that there's a remnant because he knew not everyone in that area was going to turn. We know that. And we know eventually the nation, both northern and southern kingdom, was overrun. We know that because of their sin and their refusal to turn. And even in that, God had a remnant. He had a people that he kept for himself. And for you and I today, are you going to be that remnant that stands up for and administers justice? Or are you going to be the one that at the gate they say, don't go over there. There's no justice to be found. No one stands up. Everyone's afraid. No one wants to say anything. No one wants to risk what they had because they think they got it themselves. No one wants to trust in God. No one wants to put their neck out. And God says, if you truly trust me, you won't worry about your neck. Oh, no one wants to, no one goes out purposely just to feel pain. And our goal is not to, oh, I'm ostracized. Now I'm really in God. That's not the goal. The goal is to go out, letting people see and hear and know who God is. And if in the process I'm ostracized, God, that's what you call for. I'm okay with that. If in the process I lose a job, God, I know you're going to take care of me. If in the process of doing what God wants, not what you want, you go in there telling off your boss, talking about in the name of Jesus. He's going to be like, tell you what, in the name of Jesus, go find the unemployment line. But when you act, live, and behave godly, and, and, and the repercussions are painful, know that God sees, watches, and the God of true justice will bring it. Will it be in this life? I don't know. I wish I could tell you. I can't. But I tell you one thing, if God approves of your life, you've got nothing to worry about, whether it's in this life or the next. And as a matter of fact, when it seemed like folk are getting away with stuff and we all are tempted, boy, we are so tempted to just be totally upset. And, and, and actually, we should be upset. We should hurt. 
when justice is not served. Can I tell you, though, no one, no one gets away with sin in the Lord. No one. It either comes up under the blood of Christ because it is confessed or it is dealt with and judged either in this life and the next or just the next. But it will be dealt with. No one gets away with living apart from God ever. And so don't succumb to the we will never have justice. Oh, you may not see it in the way that it is wanted in this side of life. But what you will see one day is justice because God is a God. He says it throughout scripture. He is a God of justice. That's his character. That's part of who he is. Just like he is a God of love. He is a God of justice. And understand Please let us not set up our, our sins and say, I don't do this one. And so that is, that's important. But this one is that's not as important. I read a quote from the late R.C. Sproul. And he was making the point about justice. He said, I'm going to have to paraphrase because I didn't bring my book in. I actually thought I had it, but I didn't. <clears throat> he made the point of the person who lives an adulterous life and yet champions social issues is no different and the same as the person who 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 champions who lives this 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 celibate this this approved life in regards to adultery he says same person and yet is horrible when it comes to social issues before the Lord. And he says, in other words, listen, let's not prioritize our levels of sin. Yes, we know there are degrees of degradation and we see it throughout scripture. You keep going, it keeps fading, it keeps going. But understand this, like they did. If we begin to take parts of the world and say, well, God's okay with that because I'm doing this and, and God's okay with that because I'm I'm doing this. What we create is a Christianity of our own, and it's not one from the gospel. We're talking about the gospel-shaped church, right? And if we were brought into being by the gospel, that's the tagline they have, shouldn't we live by it? And so we ask people, do you believe in Jesus? You got to ask them, hey, which today you got to ask them, which Jesus are you talking about? You talking about the Jesus of the scriptures? Or are you talking about one made by your own hands? And you can tell the difference, because when it gets hot, the Jesus made by the own hands doesn't look like Jesus at all. Today, let me ask you, if people, when people deal with you, when people interact with you, would one of the descriptors be that's a person of justice? That's a person who prioritizes justice, wrongs being made right. Now, they may have a standard different from yours, but I'm talking about when it comes to the way that you live with, the way that you deal with, the way that you treat, and, 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 and the way that you interact with others, would, would it be said of you? 
a person of justice. And see here, this is not a guilt trip. This is a, this is a, this is a mirror moment. When y'all got dressed this morning, at least at some point, everyone looked in the mirror, even if you passed it quickly. Everyone looked in the mirror at some point this morning. If you didn't look at the mirror, you looked at your phone. You put it on the selfie mode and you looked at you and your phone. Why do we do that? We want to check ourselves to see if we're presentable. We do when we go out. So can I ask us, are we checking ourselves to see if we're presentable? Are we looking in the mirror of God's word to see how we measure and match up? Because if we're doing that regularly, we're going to catch those flaws. Uh, flaws. We're going to catch those hairs out of place. We're going to catch the collar turned up. We're going to catch, okay, well, this is the wrong color. We're going to catch, I didn't wash my face this morning. We're going to catch, hey, we, we, are, we are going to catch these different things that if we never looked, we won't. And for some of us, unfortunately, it shows that we haven't looked in the mirror for a while because we're not governing how we live. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that today we have your word, oh God, that calls us to be people of justice. Why? Because you are a God of justice. Father, you call us to be people of righteousness. Why? Because you are a God, the God of righteousness. Father, you call us to be people that would live after your character because you brought us unto yourself. And so today, Father, I pray that we would be people of justice according to your word. Father, help us to stop accepting the definitions of our society. Lord, your definitions are deep enough that if we begin to live them out as we looked at the full counsel of your word, Father, people would see a difference in us and those around us. Help us to not seek to be like our societies, but Lord, to see our societies to be more like you, knowing, Father, that this is not where it's going to ultimately change. Your, your new world, your new heaven, your new earth, your society is coming. But Father, in the meantime, I pray that we would let the kingdom of God be seen as strong, as righteous, as pure, as lovely, as just. And that because of that, some would come looking at the attraction of it and wanting the God behind it. Father, I pray you would help us to be bold, that we would not back down when it comes to standing up for justice. Father, that we would step in and help those who are vulnerable, whose voices are shouted down and overheard. Or who are not heard and are overrun. Father, I pray that we would champion what you champion. Father, that we would stand for what you stand for. And most of all, that we would love one another in the family of God. We ask you this in Christ's name, amen. This morning, we went a little longer because of our communion this morning, but also this particular topic, we could spend actually weeks on this just because there's so many facets of it. I love the book of Amos, but, but 
But this morning, I really hope that we caught what God's heart is for how he wants justice dispensed. If you this morning have heard this and have never made a decision for Christ, whether you're sitting here or you're watching us on one of our media platforms and you've realized you've never made that life-changing decision to follow Christ, you have all the good intentions in the world, but you keep messing up. Maybe it's because you you don't realize that you lack the power to change yourself. If you could change yourself, there would be no need for Christ. If you could save yourself, there would be no need for a Savior. But the fact that a Savior came and a Savior bled and died because of that, because of that, God has given us a way and the way in which we come to him. If you've never repented of your sins, realizing that you were born a sinner, if you've never Ask for the forgiveness of your sins, realizing that Jesus Christ is the only sacrifice for the sin of man and to be in a relationship with God. If you've never asked him to come and to be in control of your life, you can do that today. And I pray that you do, that you can just, wherever you're sitting, wherever you are, you can just turn to God and, and, and ask God to forgive you of your sins, that you realize that you're a sinner, that you want Christ in your life, that you realize that he is the only way that your sins will be forgiven and that you embrace the new life that he sets up. And then you begin the process of growing in him and it is lifelong. And it is one in which you will have, you know, great days and days where there are struggles and yet God will be your father always. Jesus will be your Lord always and he will never walk away. And you gain a family of believers. If you did that today, can I ask you to connect with us through one of the ways that you'll see on our screen? If you are watching us, if you are here today, I pray that you talk with one of us as we gather outside afterwards. But this morning, I pray that you allow God to change you. That you allow God to shape you. That you allow God to demonstrate how attractive you are in him. Father, let it be. We give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's it for this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that we continue to be able to walk together. Next week, we're going to be looking at the issue of love in this whole deal of mercy. Because at the heart and at the foundation of, of, of mercy is love. Because the love of God is what brought mercy on our own lives. And so next week we'll be looking at that and we'll be continuing on in this word. I'm going to ask you at this point if you can follow the instructions of our ushers um, as they come to let us out. Um, that um, the weather is still nice, so we can definitely gather outside. Thanks again for coming. I look forward to talking with you guys and um, keep coming. I'm just really glad for those of you that are coming, those of you who are choosing not to. We're really glad that you're tuning in and we pray that you continue to and that you continue to pray for us as we um, allow the Lord to use us. With that, have a great Sunday, have a great weekend, and we'll see you as the Lord allows next time. You've been listening to a broadcast of Solid Word Bible Church located at 4374 West 52nd Street, Indianapolis, Indiana. 
And if you made the decision to give your life to Christ, would you please share it with us so we can rejoice with you and also pray for you. Again, thank you for joining us and may God continue to keep you until next time.